Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. As Brother Frank said earlier, just one quick announcement. If you receive your Baptist um, and reflector, they did not come in the mail. They came all to my house. Um, so I have plenty to give out. Uh, they're actually in the back. If you normally get one, uh, just grab your copy. Um, from what I've been told is they uh, will not be shipping to your house. They've been shipped to the church uh, this month. And that, that may be going forward as well. So we'll know next month. Uh, but if you normally get your uh, Baptist and Reflector newspaper, it's in the back uh, this morning. Let me pray for us and then we'll uh, get started with this message this morning. <clears throat> God, I pray that we would see your holiness in this place this morning as we've already sang. You are a holy God. You are a kind God. You are a good God. You are a God that's sovereign and rules over all things. And I pray that through that, God, you would bring our hearts into humble submission to you, the God of the universe. I pray now, God, as we look at this message, at this passage of Scripture, that you would uh, let us see what does it truly mean for us to be made in your image. That's how we're unique from all other creatures. So we give you this morning, continue to have your way in this place. I pray this in the mighty and famous name of Jesus. Amen. We will be in chapter one, again on page one in Genesis. I'm going to spend the majority of our time this morning on one small uh, line, but it impacts all of us as believer or unbeliever. It's the one line in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. I want to look this morning at what does it mean to be made in the image of God before I want to kind of recap and set the stage for this moment in creation. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've titled this sermon series Origins. We're going to go through chapters 1 through 11 in Genesis. It's the foundation or the origin of all that we hold to be, be true about what we believe to be true. So in the first 11 chapters, we'll see this pattern of God creating, man sinning, and God judging, and God redeeming. You'll see that over and over and over again in these first 11 chapters. But we must be reminded of where it all started. In verse 1, chapter 1. And God, in the beginning, God. It all starts with him. It does not start with us as man. It starts with him. And so our focus, as we look into the first 11 chapters, and then therefore the whole Bible, that it's all about God. This is not a manual for human beings how to live. This is a God-given, inspired book for us to know the holiness of God. And it's when we know his holiness, everything about us will change. So we have to look at God first and foremost when we come to the text. In every passage of Scripture, we must view it through the lens of God's holiness, God's goodness, God's kindness. And so I want to look at that this morning as we have been talking about the creation story. That God has been creating and molding and shaping for, for the culmination of day six. We'll spend the majority of our time there this morning. But if you remember last week, we talked about the first three days that God had been forming things. Which is amazing to me and it makes my brain hurt to think 
that God in his sovereignty took nothing and made something out of it. Just by the sheer words that came out of his mouth, Christ himself, were the words that he spoke, created all that we see. That's the power of God. It's not by chance that you and I are sitting here. It's not some four billion years ago, some two molecules in in the atmosphere collided together to create what we have. No, it's a unique design by God. And if you just think of it for a moment, how God created all things and placed all things in their purpose. Do you know if we're just one degree off of our axis, we'll burn to smithereens one way or the other. The other way, we'll freeze to death. That's by chance? No, that's by the sovereign will of God that he knew exactly what he was doing. Do you understand all that we're in orbit? If we're one degree out of orbit, eventually earth and, and the planets will collide. If the moon is off its orbit just for a moment, it will eventually collide with the earth. Like, Think about all the complexity that's gone in to God's design. And we're just one galaxy of millions of galaxies. But yet God, in his sovereignty, in his his wisdom, placed everything the way it ought to be so that eventually you and I, humans, could be placed in that moment. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So the first three days he's forming, these last three days, he's filling what he has already formed. Remember, we said this last week. Day one, day two, and day three are this, that God formed the lights and the darkness. Day two, God formed the sky and the waters. Day three, he formed the land. And then day four, which we'll see just for a moment this morning, he fills the light with the sun, the moon, and the stars. Let's read it for a moment. Catch how the writer Moses writes this in the passage. He says, and God said, let there be lights, plural, in the expanse of the heavens and separate the light from the day from the night and let there be signs and seasons for days and years and let them be lights that expand of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And so it was. And God made two great lights. The greater light would rule the day and the lesser light would rule the night. And the stars. Do you know what the writer does not say? He does not mention them by name. He does not say the moon and the sun. That that, that ought to rise our curiosity. What did Moses not just call it the sun and the moon for? The reason he doesn't name it the sun and the moon is because the Egyptians worship God's name, the sun and the moon. So he's saying automatically from the very beginning, hey, this is the God that created the gods that you worship. When we come to the text, we've got to ask the question, how come the writer wouldn't just state plainly sun and moon? Because he knows plainly that there's people worshiping the sun and the moon, and he's wanting to draw their attention off the creation and then to the creator. And I love what he does at the end. He says, oh yeah, and those billions of stars. Like, it's just a throw-in. The moon, the sun, oh yeah, and the stars. 
but what he's doing is he's setting us up to see the creator rather than the creation. One just quick note to make. Many people take this verse in verse 14. The lights in the expanse, the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons. Many people see the signs and that's why they, they read their horoscopes. No, no, God did not give us signs in the stars to read horoscopes. If you look throughout the Bible, God uses the sun, the moon, and the stars to reveal himself to his people. How was Jesus revealed to the wise men? A star. How did the, 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 the shepherds in the field, they looked up in the heavens and they saw this Star, those were signs. Every sign that God has given us through his creation is to reveal not anything for us, but it's to reveal something about himself. Again, just a small note. So day four, he puts into place in what he already created in day one. Day five is the birds and the fish. Remember in day two, he makes the water in the skies and now he fills them. He put the water in place, and then I, I, I have this image that God just takes this big old bucket of fish and just kind of dumps it into the sea. He's creating and putting things into motion for us. And then day six, it says this, in verse 24, it says, and God let there, and God said, "Let the earth bring forth living creatures, according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds." And it and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kinds. And God saw it, and it was good. Then what it says over and over again, five different places, we see this word, it's kind. If we just look at that one word in the text, that one phrase in the text, it dispels homosexuality like that. Because there's no way for animals to reproduce if they're, they're, not, if they're the same gender. So he's saying... Animals have to reproduce. He's going to say it again in a moment about us. He gives this idea that you are blessed. The blessing comes out of reproduction. When, when you look at the text, and God blessed them in verse 28. And so God is setting in motion what all of creation ought to look and to point us to what mankind ought to look like. But he starts with the beasts of the fields. He's got everything in place. It's as if he's set the table for the guest. Everything's in its right order. Everything's in its right place. The one thing that is missing from the house is who? You and I. What he's saying is there's nothing out of place. And I'm going to put mankind in his proper place. And then it says this in verse 26. And then God said, 
Let us make man in our own image. Anybody ever wondered what the image of God was that he's talking about in this passage? We've all heard it. The word means imago Dei, in the image of God, that you and I have been created like God. But what, what does that really mean? There's five things I want to point out. These five things are not original to me. But I want to point out five things about what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God. I believe we understand these five things. It will change everything about what we believe to be true about God, not about ourselves. The first one is this. I want you to look at what he says. Remember the first eight times he says this when he creates things. Let there be and there was. He's making this commandment. He speaks things forth and they just happen. They happen. They happen. This is the only moment in all creation that he goes in and gets relational advice from God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He says this, let who? Us. Make man. All the other times he just speaks things into existence. Now he goes and is in relational uh, dynamics with Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to bring forth. He says, let us make them in what? Our image and in our likeness. Three different places he uses the plural of God. And then he says, whose image? God's image. We could just spend a whole sermon this morning on that one word. This debunks evolution. You know, evolution would say this, that you and I came from where? Monkeys. Now, I mean, I know I might look like a monkey. That was supposed to be a joke. But what we, we see in this text is there's no way that we came from monkeys because he had already created monkeys. So he's saying to us already, hey, you are the most unique creature of all creatures. There's a uniqueness about you. What's the uniqueness about us? That we are the only thing in all of creation that's created in whose image? His image. Everything else that's been created has been created in the image of what it was created to be like. Meaning all monkeys are going to be monkeys. It's going to be an assembly line. So when God said, hey, let there be monkeys, then the monkeys just started coming. When God said, let the elephants, the elephants started coming. So everything is created in its kind. But we're the only thing in all the Bible that says we have the image of God. We are unique. We are more special than any other creature that walks the planet. Do we know that? To be true. So first, we are unique. There is no such thing as evolution. You and I did not come from monkeys. We came from the ground that God, we'll see this in a few weeks, that God formed. And in His unique way, remember, everything else God spoke and it happened. But with man, God took clay and put it together and then breathed His 
life into our nostrils. Catch that in the text. We're the only creature that God met face to face and breathed his life into their nostrils to give them life. So we were unique. That's the first one. We are different than all other creatures. That's how we are in the image of God. The second one is this. That we have been given authority. Read that in the text. This is in verse 26. Right after he creates us, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let them have what? Dominion or rule. Again, God's created us uniquely, but God has also given us a unique rule over all other creation. Nothing else in creation has rule over us. We have rule over everything. Here's what's true. And here's what's happened for us. We think that God has given us all this stuff to be ours, and so we miss use it and we abuse it and we don't take care of it but God has called us and given us all these things and then he says I want you to rule over this or I want you to have uh, to shepherd this or I want you to steward what I've given to you it's amazing to me you know God doesn't need us to rule over anything you know that like God is sovereign and in control of all things but yet God is a relational God invites us in to what he's already doing, ruling all over everything, and now gives us partnership with him to rule over what he's created. And I just wonder how often we misuse and abuse what God's called us to rule over. Anyone ever had renters in their house before? I have, we have a house in Florida and have renters. Oh, I said renters. Someone that rents a house from you. Jenny always tells me my English is pitiful. I'm sorry. Renters. Those that will rent a house from you. Is that better? Anyone had renters? Okay. So with renters, what you don't want are people that come in there and don't take care of your stuff. Anyone have those before? And they, they leave the house worse than they got it. And then they have this expectation that you pay for it. And the problem is you got to pay for it because you have to have more people come rent the house or you're going to go broke. And I wonder how often we use and abuse the earth that God's called us to rule over like that. That we don't really shepherd what he's called us to rule over. God did not need us to rule over this planet. But that's how we're unique. That's how we're made in the image of God. But he now says, you have dominion over all that I've done. I wonder how well we take care of it. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 8. I think Psalm chapter 8 will shed a few, shed some light on this for us. I want you to see where the chapter begins and where the chapter ends. This is on page 450. It says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 1 and verse 9, it says this, 
O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The writer, the psalmist, is capping the passage with God's holiness. But look in the middle that he says. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. And now here the psalmist is outside looking up. Remember David was a shepherd. He spent a lot of time outdoors with the sheep. He says when I look at who? Your heavens. And the work of your hands. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you have cared for him. Like when he gets out into the grandness of the universe, he looks into the sky and says, God, you set all this in place. How holy and majestic is your name. Who am I that you're even mindful of me? Like what am I to you compared to all that you've created? I'm just a speck on this planet. What are you that you are mindful of, that you care for him? You know he cares for us more than any other being that walks the planet? Do we realize that? Like God cares for us more than he cares for the dog. Your house dog. Mine too. Your cat, if you're a cat person, I'm sorry. But he cares for us way more than that. Because he did not send his son to die for your dog. He sent his son to die for you, which means he cares more about you than he does your dog. Do we realize the care of God on our lives? He says this about us, about man. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So he's looking out into the vast universe and says, what are you mindful of me? This little speck on this earth. But yet you care for me. And you've created me a little lower than the heavenly beings. And then he says this. And you have given me dominion over what? Not the works of my hands. But the works of your hands. Who am I that you're mindful of? Who am I that you care for me? And yet you have given me dominion. Over what you created. You put all things under his feet. All the sheep. All the oxen. And also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens. The fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea. You've given me all things. To have dominion and rule over. Do we realize that? So God's uniquely created us in his image. Set us apart from all other creatures. And right after he does that, he then gives us responsibility to take care of what he created. Like just, just for a moment. Do we care for what God created? Or do we abuse what God has given us and what God created? I'd venture to say we're more abusive and caretakers. The third one is this. Not only has God given us 
dominion over all things. Not only has God created us uniquely, but here's the other one. God has given us, as His creatures, the only creatures, some of His attributes. We're the only thing that He created, that He's now instilled, because we're in His image, some of His attributes. The first thing that we see is this. The first attribute that God has given to us is that we're relational people. That God in His wisdom created us to be in relationship. That's why God created male and female. To be in relationship with one another. That's the first one. The second one. There's many more. I don't have time to exhaust all the attributes that God has given to us that make us have some of God's image. The next one is this, that we're intelligent. Like as, as smart as dolphins are, we trump dolphins. You know, dolphins are really brilliant animals. My golden retriever is brilliant. But God has not given him the attribute of intelligence. He's only given us the attribute of his intelligence, his creative design. You know, we are creative by nature. You know, a dog cannot create things. I mean, they can create a mess and they can create urine stains on your carpet. I mean, that kind of creation they can do. But, but they cannot have a complex mind to, to begin to create and put things together. Like we are intelligent people, but our intelligence comes out of our understanding that we've been created by God and we have his attributes in us. We are intelligent. The next two are probably the most important out of all of them. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 24. I was reading this week and one writer said this. So often we come and we say, I, I, I sin because I'm human. And this writer said this. The more you sin, the less human you really are. If we understand that we're created in the image of God. There is no sin in God. Now I know there's original sin in us. But if you're a believer and you sin, it's not because you're human. It's because you've chosen by your free will to sin. Because this is what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says to us. It says this, and put on the new self. If you're a believer, you have the new self. Created after what? Again, the likeness of God. So if you're a believer, you've been created in the likeness of God in true what? Righteousness and holiness. Do we live out our God-given image of Him and our holiness and righteousness? Because you've been created in the image of God, and if you've been created in the image of God and you're a believer, then you have righteousness and holiness. Do we live that out in our lives? The fourth one is this. And I think this is the one we've probably done the worst at, especially here in America. I don't believe we understand how sacred we really are. We take life and we make it flippant. 
So how do I know that? It's called abortion. We as believers idly watch millions and millions and millions and millions of children be murdered all the time over the course of the last 40 years. Millions of children. And, and we come up with all the excuses. But if we're created in the image of God, every child at conception has the image of God. I don't care how big the baby is. When that egg, that sperm enters the egg, God's image has been created. Do we believe that? Now we say we believe that, but we sit idly by and watch women kill babies all the time. They're killing the image of God. That is a sacred baby. And we, the church, must do something about it. But here's what's also true. Every human being is sacred to God. Red, yellow, black, and white. And this country has allowed people of different races and different colors not to be seen as sacred. Just because we're white Americans does not make us the most sacred creatures on the planet. We are in the image of God, red, yellow, black, and white. We are all sacred to God. And how often do we not treat our brothers and sisters of different races and colors as sacred? You know what God says in God's word about this? When we don't treat each other kindly and we murder each other. He says this about us in Genesis chapter 9. Which is a terrifying, terrifying passage. He says this in chapter 9, verse 5. And your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. For every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning of the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man by a man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his image. That is a terrifying passage to me. But here's what is also true. And I want to say this kindly and I want to say this lovingly and gently. If you and I have not treated our brothers and sisters kindly, there is redemption for that. There is forgiveness from God for that. If you have or know someone that has experienced an abortion, there is kindness and gentleness from God for that. But God looks at it and looks at that baby and looks at every human as a sacred human being. The question is, do I? The question is, do you? Do we believe that every single body is made in the image of God? And the last one is this, as we close. We see it in chapter 2, verse 7. And then God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. In that moment, in that moment, 
we became eternal beings. Because God's breath into our lungs gave us a soul that lived on forever and ever and ever and ever. Though this body wastes away, the soul will never waste away. We are made in the image of God. We bear His image. One of the images that we bear is we are eternal beings the way He is. He is an eternal being. Like every one of us in this room, your body will die, but your soul will live on forever. That's why it's so important for us, the believer, to take the gospel message to everyone because we see them are created in the image of God. They have an eternal soul. And that eternal soul will either spend eternity with God or that soul will spend it apart from God. That is what it makes evangelism one of the highest callings for the believer. But it's only when we look at every person on this planet as they've been created in the image of God. That in that moment, if they have not placed their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, their eternal soul will be apart from God forever and ever and ever and ever. One writer says it this way. There's one command or one duty that God has given to the believer that does not happen in heaven. He called us to worship Him. He's called us to obey Him. He's called us to love Him. But the one thing that God has called us, and we see this in the text, God has also called us to evangelize. Do we know there's no evangelism in heaven? There's no need to evangelize in heaven. We don't have to go door to door. We don't have to do gatherings because everyone there is a believer. So the one thing we don't get the privilege of doing in heaven is to witness to people. But I wonder, do we take that call in our lives and to witness to our neighbors? Because we understand that they're made in the image of God. And they have an eternal soul. And just maybe, just maybe God would use us to bring redemption to that soul for all of eternity. You see, everyone on the planet, believer or unbeliever, is made in the image of God. Like every single human has been uniquely created by God. Every single human has been given authority by God. Every single human has God's, some of God's attributes. Every single human is sacred to God. And every single human has an eternal soul. What will we do as the believer with our image-bearing God in us? Let us.